Welcome into episode 107 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. That was your cue to jump in. Wait, wait, did you did you forget his name? There was like an awkward pause. No, there. that was the pause for him to say the Natty Hattie. The what? He told me he the was Natty Hattie. There we go. <laughs> That's all I wanted. All right, we're done. Talk to you guys next week. Okay. No, I guess we'll talk about the Anaheim Ducks while we're here. We're also going to preview the New Jersey Devils later on in the show. Well, this is a this podcast is like a rematch of the 2007 Stanley Cup. Look at you. Is that right? Is I think it, that oh, is right. right. Kind of the forgotten Stanley Cup back there. Maybe it might actually been earlier. I think that was the uh, Ottawa one. So we have to go back further. But was either it way, six was it? It was no, either seven or six. Oh, six was the the Ottawa one. Yeah, wasn't it? I, th- I thought you were right with no. Those. Hang on a second. Whatever. We'll, I'm calling it up here. Okay, you, you do just that. keep talking. You type keep into the computer. Air. We're gonna we're gonna preview the Ducks. That's one of the teams we don't have a guest each week. We've been spreading it out over two episodes. We've had guests on to talk about two of the teams, and we're previewing one team on our own. After today, we'll be done with 18 of the 31. So making some progress, and that of course should remind you that it is now late August. Training camp is opening about two weeks for most teams. Preseason starts like four hours after training camp opens, and then the regular season starts in early October. So I believe I've killed enough time. Craig, do you have an answer? 2007, it was and. Randy Carlisle was the coach then, too. The once and future coach of the Ducks. Why don't we just preview the 2007 Ducks and really throw everybody off? And make predictions? Yeah. Okay. I feel like the 2007 Ducks are going to have a pretty good season. Big year from Scott Niedermeyer coming up. Absolutely. Huge. Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff were on that team. They're still on this team. Do we want to start there? Well, we can start with Corey Perry if you want. All right. Let's let's do that. Is he in decline? Uh, He didn't seem to be in the playoffs. But the last couple regular seasons... Well, yeah, but almost 40 goals per season in the five full seasons before last year. Last year he had 19. He's got four years left on a contract that's going to pay him an average of a little over $8.6 million a year. Um, He's getting up there in years, too, so you you expect to see a decline here, but I don't think the Ducks want to see it happen quite yet. No, and and he he plays a physical game, too, which wears on you a little bit quicker, and if he's not in a decline, if that's just a blip, I bet you he will be in two, three, four years and still be making top-line wing money. They are a unique team in the sense that if you look at the Pacific Division, there's some teams clearly on the rise, and there's some teams clearly on decline, and... uh, you know, the, the extremes of that, Edmonton's very much on the rise, Vancouver's on the decline, but you can look at other clubs and you can say, okay, this team's young and they're rebuilding, and you can see teams that you wonder if their style might be a little outdated. Anaheim has done a good job with a, a young, or rather an older nucleus of still staying very relevant. I mean, they weren't that far from making a deep playoff run last year, and they've, they're doing that not just with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, but primarily those are still the guys mm-hmm. uh, they're leaning on. It's five straight division championships, right? Yeah, and Ryan Kessler. Yeah, that's not bad at all. It's not bad at all, but they, and we'll get to this in a minute. The, the secret to this team, but they obviously have those two players up front that have been very consistent, but this team has an underrated blue line. I, everybody knows about Nashville's blue line after the, the postseason that they had, but in my mind, this is probably the best blue line in the Western Conference. Oh, even better than Nashville. Or, or, I'm sorry, not in the Western Conference, but it, probably the second best in the league, let's say that. Even better than Calgary. I do think it's better than Calgary's wow. top to bottom. Well, I think when I we think have Brad the, Tree living on the phone, to not talk not to yet. Him. B oh. Well, still B, owes us. He's that. a surprise guest, and he's just been listening to your preview. When I think of the Ducks, I just think of depth. I think of it at forward. I think of it on the blue line. Mm-hmm. I think that's what separates them, and that what that's what allows them to continue to win, even though 
you know, they they have a lot of good young players, but they don't have that spectacular young player like Edmonton has or what Toronto has. But you know what? They don't need to because they have a, a, a just a, a whole massive group of solid players. And I think when you're able to roll four lines, when you're able to have five, six solid defensemen, that is something that you can take advantage of multiple mismatches at various points in games because you have quality players at positions that other teams do not, and that is their big advantage. When you talk about depth, too, I mean, you, you look in net, John Gibson was, was really solid last year. He's still just 24. That was his first year really being the clear-cut number one goalie and, and having the job all to himself. You know, he was a little up and down in the playoffs, but most teams don't have depth at goalie. They do now, mainly just because Ryan Miller wanted to live in Southern California for, <laughs> for other reasons, but... That's not a bad backup goalie no, to have. Really good guy to have around. Yeah. yeah. That's and, and who knows, you know, if, if Gibson hits patches because of his youth where he, he struggles a little bit, it's a pretty good guy to, be, to have around to lean on where you can play him a little more than you would play a normal backup. And he's not somebody that Gibson's at risk of losing a job to in a year right. or two. So even if he does struggle, it's not like you're going to ruin his confidence by having him take a back seat for a little bit. And again, now you have two, you know, two American heroes in that. Which is really, which is really the most important part. Wow, two, not just two Americans, two American heroes. Two American heroes. Has what has John Gibson done? I mean, he's he's from Pittsburgh, so I'll give no, him. He was he was good. Okay, well, juniors. <laughs> all you got to do is be he good, good in, in junior. He was good in the Wall Junior. I mean, he wasn't. You know, the other American heroes can't get out of the AHL. Shout out to Jack Campbell, but uh, <laughs> <Poor Jack laughs> I completely Campbell. derailed the show with that <laughs> with my Jack Campbell random attack on Jack Campbell's yeah. career. Just clearly had an agenda here. Yeah, this whole podcast <laughs> is building up just so Jamie could take that shot. Uh, you know, going back to the defense for a second, they were one of the teams that everybody was looking at heading into the expansion draft because they had too many good pieces on the blue line. And, you know, if you if you think back, you could only really keep three defensemen or you could, you could keep more than three, but then you cut down the total number of skaters you could keep heading into the expansion draft. And with Ricard Raquel scoring 30 goals every year, and a lot of players on, on no trade clauses that they, they couldn't expose. And then Silverberg just really emerging and making himself un, undealable or, or somebody that you couldn't let go. Anaheim had to get really creative to keep all these pieces on the blue line. And for the most part, they did it. Yeah. Sammy Vatanen, how is he still a duck? Right. Well, because they made that deal that they did. You know, they, got, they, they wanted to get rid of Clayton Stoner's contract, get him off the books. But to do that, they, they had to give up Shea Theodore as well, which is probably a piece that they wanted to hang on yeah, to. But yeah, in a perfect world. Right. But when you're dealing from a position of strength, and there's, there's that M80 again. <laughs> when you're dealing from a position of strength, you, you can do these sorts of things. You can, you can absorb this sort of loss, I guess. They wanted to keep Josh Manson. They wanted to keep Sammy Botton and, and Cam Fowler. They just signed to a huge extension. So they have so many pieces on the blue line still. You can't really say it's, you know, they, they took a hit here. They're going to be in trouble because really it was about finding minutes for these guys because they had so many. Some they, teams had to take a hit and yeah. they minimized the hit. They mm-hmm. did the best they could in a bad situation. And yeah. I think there's not another realistic way they could have come out better. They kept the guys that are going to be impact players for them immediately and gave up a little bit for the future. After this season, they only have six forwards signed. Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Ryan Kessler, Ricard Raquel, uh, Jakob Silverberg, and Patrick Eves. So the right guys the right forwards. Signed. Yeah. Uh, Eves is only making $3.15 million a year. It's pretty solid when he came over after the trade deadline last year. What are we expecting from him going forward? Well, I think they just want to see the consistency that they got in that short blip and hope it's not 
just a short blip. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's what we all want to see. Is this a sign that can he sustain that over a longer period of time, or is he just going to be prone to having short spurts of where he looks like the best player on the ice and then kind of falls away a bit? It's... Uh, it... Is this still their division, or is that going away now with Edmonton and Calgary? I think we asked the same question last year, where we thought that they were probably a team that was going to start declining, but they didn't. It's and, more and perilous now, though, don't you think? Sure. Edmonton's going to be better. They should be better in spite of Peter Shirelli. <laughs> Who? But Anaheim has this blue line. Again, when you look at the way today's NHL is constructed, how the game moves, where offense starts... They have really good pieces. Uh, again, if, if Corey Perry's in decline, that's a problem. If they're not getting enough from their top-end forwards, that's a problem because they're not going to pr- produce enough offense. And their power power play really fell off last year, so that's a, a concern to watch. But they have such a good blue line still, and they look like they're in good shape in goal. I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division again. Yeah, I mean, heading into the year, I, I would guess that I would pick Edmonton to win the division, but I would pick the Ducks to beat Edmonton in the postseason if they, oh, if they played in the seven-game series again. Wow. I, I would. I, I think I think Anaheim just has – they're not going to be as exciting of a team as Edmonton. I think Edmonton is going to have some games, especially against lesser competition, where they're winning by five, six goals, and everybody's going to go, oh, here, here come the Oilers. But I, I just – I worry about – I still worry about that blue line in Edmonton. I think Anaheim is just so strong. We saw what Kessler was able to do to McDavid in year one, a postseason. Now, how does McDavid respond to that? Uh, but again, these are two very, very good teams. But it wouldn't surprise. I don't think the Ducks need to win the division for me to think that they're cup contenders. Did Edmonton get better other than just the maturation of those players that we're talking about, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl? Did no, they get better? I don't think could, so. I mean, they, they got Ryan Strom. They lost Jordan Everly. Yeah, no. I think you I know how we all feel worse. about that. Yeah. yeah. Again, a, a deal that didn't make much sense. But and like I'm, you I just can, said, I, I don't, I, I'm not used to Edmonton trading star wings for lesser returns. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't understand. I've never <laughs> seen that happen before. Also, an unrelated topic. We're going to preview the New Jersey Devils here shortly. But uh, Jordan Eberle is. A, he didn't do anything in the playoffs. He disappeared. But neither did the MVP. No, he really didn't. I mean, it was Leon Dreisaitl for the Oilers that, that got them there. That, that series with, with Anaheim, that second-round series that went seven games, was one of the most entertaining series in the entire playoffs. Jamie just hit on a major part of it. Ryan Kessler, who played some of his best hockey of his career last year, and I, I don't see any reason to think that that's going to trail off this year. I know he's getting up there in years, but if he played that well last year, I would assume he's got at least another year or so playing at that at that level. Yeah, I mean, and not to sound like a, a local Arizona radio host, but styles make fights, and uh, and the, the Ducks do the things well that Edmonton doesn't quite do well yet, and I think that's what the difference is as a team that is on the rise versus a team that's already there. And they're strong at critical positions. Absolutely, the center position is very good. It's and the you blue know line. Edmonton's is probably going to be better in a couple of years, but they have a better blue line. They're strong in goal. Anything else in the Ducks? We're going to get to this uh, Devils preview where we talk about Taylor Hall, who the uh, Oilers shouldn't have traded. Taylor Hall likes to talk about the Oilers. <laughs> Everybody likes to talk about the Oilers at this point. All right, so that's that's it for Anaheim. We still think they're a playoff team. We don't think there's any drop-off. Uh, they could still win the division. I, I actually feel better about Anaheim now than I did a year ago at this time. I, I have more Is it cons- because of the blue line? Yeah. And it's because of Silverberg and Raquel doing what he did again. And mm-hmm. he even started last year late. But uh, I don't know. A year ago at this time, I thought that they were at least a candidate to sort of take a step back. And now I think 
they may not win the division, but that's not a knock on them. That's because Edmonton and Calgary are so much better. I think I might pick them to come out of the West. Ooh. I'm not convinced that there's another team better than them. If they stay healthy, which is always the big question mark. I mean, if you know Gibson or a couple of those defensemen go down and they miss significant time, that changes everything. But I don't think Calgary or Edmonton are ready to beat them yet. Uh, you don't I, see Nashville repeating? I, do, I don't know if Nashville's going to get that far. As much as I love Nashville's blue line, I still have questions about that team. I just I don't see I don't think there's any powerhouse in the West yet. Two years from now, Edmonton might be that if we see the certain additions they need to make and the players take step forwards that we expect to. And I want to see what the Dallas Stars do this year. Uh, they have, that, that, they have yeah. their own set of issues, but Dallas is going to be an interesting team to watch. Dallas almost feels like the Tampa Bay of the West. I mean, Tampa Bay built their team mainly through the Minus draft. Victor Edmond. Yes. <laughs> and, and Tampa Bay, I think, is a, is a better team. But those are both clubs that could come out of nowhere if you're not paying close attention to hockey. Just look at the standings or whatever and, and you know pay a little attention. You see two non-playoff teams. They're both teams capable of going all the way to the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. this year. So, But yeah, I'm kind of with Jamie. I don't know. Are we, We're going to do a prediction show, aren't we? At some sure. point? I think we're legally obligated to. We have a hockey podcast. Okay. Just the rules. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for telling me that we have uh, had a hockey podcast, too. All right. We're going to preview the New Jersey Devils right now with Andrew Gross, the Devils and NHL writer of the Bergen Record. All right, we continue to preview teams around the NHL. We'll take a look now at one of the teams on the rise. We are joined now by uh, Devils NHL writer Andrew Gross to look at the New Jersey Devils. Andrew, they've had a pretty eventful summer. They've definitely improved quite a bit. Is there a thought that this team might have improved enough to perhaps end this playoff drought? Um, I don't know if they're quite at that level yet, and I say that only because the, the Metropolitan Division is just going to be an absolute obstacle course. You know, uh, in addition to the Devils, I, I think the Carolina Hurricanes are, are a much improved team. Uh, you know, the Flyers are going to be in there too, and then you still got, you know, the Blue Jackets and the two time defending uh, Stanley Cup champion Penguins, and the Rangers are a perennial. Uh, uh, playoff contender and the Caps are in the division too. So, uh, where, whereas I, I agree, I think the Devils are a much improved team and, and really they had nowhere to go but up after last season or after the last couple of seasons. Um, but whether they make the playoffs or not this season, I don't think will be a real barometer of how much the franchise has improved ultimately. One of the, uh, Storylines that could impact that, obviously, Andrew, is Travis Zajac's surgery. Uh, what can you tell us about that? What does the timeline look like, and how does that impact this lineup? Yeah, I mean, Travis is, uh, you know, he kind of flies under the radar because he likes it that way. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't really, you know, seek out any kind of spotlight. Um, but he is their number one center, and he has been. And, you know, he and not even so much for his offensive production, even though he, he does blend well, uh, or he blended well last season uh, with with Taylor Hall on his left wing, uh, plays well with Kyle Palmieri as well. But, you know, he, defensively, he's their best center, and he was taking most of their important face-offs uh, in, in both zones. Um, he's, he's not a guy the Devils are just going to be able to replace. It, it really, I think, is going to be by committee. Uh, you know, the, the first thing you would think would be Adam Henrique maybe gets a shot to be the number one center, but the, the Devils really seem to be edging towards playing Henrique more as a left wing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether they see him as a number one center anymore. Um, 
Travis is is down four to six months. So I, I think, you know, even conservatively, you know, you're looking at January before getting this guy back into the lineup. And, and that really might even push into February. Well, and saying that, how does the addition of a guy like Marcus Johansson really impact this team? How did that trade go down? Because I think everybody in this room is of the thought that the Devils absolutely robbed the Capitals. Well, they, they, they robbed the Capitals, and, and that's because the Capitals were really backed into a bad spot. They just, you know, they had too many big money contracts. Uh, on their ledger, and they just couldn't afford Marcus Johansson anymore. And the Devils were in a really good spot because the salary cap is not a concern for them at all. You know, they they don't have those or, or numerous big contracts. You know, even Corey and uh, Taylor Hall are right around $6 million. So it's not like, you know, the Devils are top-heavy on the salary cap, and they were able to uh, get the, uh, you know, the the, the – the picks because they they had an excess of picks and uh, and and the room to to bring in Johansson. Uh, it was it was a little surprising, I think, that the Capitals traded within the division. Um, but you know what, Ray Shiro, when asked about that, said, "You know what? We're not in any position to scare the Capitals at this point." So I, I don't think that was a concern. Um, yeah, it was it was a great move for the Devils because they they're, they're desperately in need of top six scoring, and uh, Marcus Johansson, although you know he was playing on the left wing, he has played center, and and now we see that the Devils do have a need at center, so uh, maybe he gets a try there. Hey Andrew, what's the the plan for Nico Hishier in, in his first potential NHL season? Well, I, I think he's he's absolutely going to be given every chance. To, to make this team, um, you know, having said that, and and this is coming from a lot of sources from around the Devils, in the Devils, and around the Devils, is the, the thought is the best thing the Devils and Nico Heeshear can do for Nico Heeshear this year is to not put these in the weight of you know, you know, unrealistic expectations on this kid. It, it, it's kind of tough because the last two number one overalls have been Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. And, you know, those are generational players. And, and Nico Heeshear is at this moment not considered one of those generational talents. He's, he's a very solid center who's going to bring some offense to the team. But he's still young. He's only played one year over in North America. And like I said, you know, he's going to be given every shot to uh, to make this team at a training camp. And, and obviously, from a marketing standpoint, you know, the Devils are certainly pushing this kid. Um, but, you know, if if it proves to be too much, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be shocking if, if Nico gets sent back to uh, juniors for another year. Um, you know, if the Devils think this is too much for him. Uh, so I, I think they're going to tread lightly with Nico Heeshear. That that being said, I mean he's he's got a chance at a you know especially as we've been talking about with Travis Zajac going down, he's got a chance to be you know probably not a number one center, but you know maybe the number two center uh, if he shows he can he can handle it. And you know the other thing with Nico is he's not in a vacuum here. There is there is a lot of competition, not just. Uh, you know, to make 
to make the Devils, but there are a lot of really good forwards. The Devils draft has been kind of forward heavy over the past uh, two, three seasons. So, you know, Michael McLeod, who was uh, their first round pick, uh, not this not this June, uh, the previous June, um, he's taken strides. He's grown a little bit. Um, he was in juniors last year. He's he's a strong candidate to make this team, and, and he's a true center, you know, like Nico. So, uh you know, he's going to be there. John Quenville, another former first-round pick, uh, got some time in last season. Uh, he's, you know, he's probably going to vie for a spot on one of the wings. And, and you got Pavel Zaka, who was a sixth overall pick, who's played a full season in the NHL. So, you know, talking to Ray Shiro, he's, he's admitted that there's, there is a balance. You don't want, you know you know, seven or eight of your forwards to be these, you know, rookies or second year players. So there, there's going to be some strong competition uh, for Nico to make this team. Let's stick at the center position for a minute. You just mentioned Pavel Zaka. Curious what you think the next step is for him. And I also wanted to ask you about Brian Boyle, another guy they brought in, uh, obviously more for the, for the bottom, uh, the bottom six, but what do they see in him and where does he factor into all this? Well, yeah, uh, Brian Boyle obviously is just a, you know, a, a very, you know, proven veteran in, in the league. And, uh, you know, it, it was almost a, a strange signing. And, and I say that because Brian Boyle, you know, he's known mainly, you know, for how well he, he ups his game in the playoffs. And, you know, there might not be that chance for him with the Devils this season, although obviously he and the Devils are not thinking of it that way. But, you know what? I, I've I've always liked Brian Boyle's game back to uh, my time covering him uh, when he was with the Rangers. He's a a very solid bottom six forward. He can also you know he plays the center mostly. I've seen him mostly as a fourth line center, but you know he's also been used on the left wing. Uh, obviously, he brings great size uh, down there. You know, at six foot seven. Um, he he can he he wins faceoffs. He uh, he's not afraid to. Uh, muck it up and, uh, you know, protect some of his teammates. So, uh, I, you know, they, they, a lot of, not from Brian, but a lot of the talk was what he was not only going to be able to bring on the ice, but into the room as a kind of a veteran mentor. And uh, while, you know, Brian Boyle, uh, I've seen him, he's always really good with the young guys in the room. He, he wants to make it very clear that he's not being hired as, you know, this kind of like player emeritus, you know, future assistant coach type of role. He, he wants it made very clear that he's still a player and, and, and he sees his value on the ice, you know, that he'll, he'll play his 14, 15 minutes per game. Um, as far as Pavel Zaka, what he needs to do is last year, you know, they started him as a center. He never really got out of the bottom six. And by the end of the year, he's playing more left wing uh, than center. Um, he's a big kid. He needs to improve his offensive game. Um, you know, he, he was solid for the most part, uh, you know, with what he needed to do defensively, even if he didn't get it done, he always understood what he needed to get done. So I think that part of the game is going to be there. But, you know, for a sixth overall pick, he needs to produce more and he needs to produce more consistently. And, you know, I, I think the doubles right now are, are still kind of looking at him as maybe in a third-line role. 
Um, but again, with Travis going down, um, there is going to be a shot for, for Pav to, to prove he can play in the, in, in the top six, uh, be it on the wing or, or at center. The devil surprised most of the hockey world last year by pulling off a trade for Taylor Hall. How do you characterize what his first season in New Jersey was like? And is there enough talent around him now to help him take even maybe another step forward? And if so, what is his upside? Well, I, I think his upside is he, he can be, or you know, and maybe he even is one of the best left wings in the NHL. Um, obviously, the Devils struggled to score goals last season, and, and that was one of the reasons they brought Taylor Hall in was for for the offensive production. You know, a lot of times, like you said, you know, it wasn't on him. He he would get there, or he would make the pass, and. You know, it just wasn't it, it just wasn't capitalized on. Um, you know, him and Kyle Palmieri towards the end of the season got into a really good groove. Kyle's game kind of took off over the last couple of months, two three months of the season. Um, Taylor Hall, yeah, I, you know, you'd like to see Taylor Hall approach the thirty goal mark with a little bit more consistency. I think the Devils need that out of him. I think last year was a giant eye-opener learning experience for him because, uh, you know, no matter what he said, I, I think it took him a long time to get over the fact that he was no longer with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, even going into the trip to Edmonton, uh, which I believe was in January, um, you know, he was talking about he needed that trip to kind of mentally get past the fact that, you know, he, he was he was no longer part of that organization. Um, you know, I, I think the Devils have to prove something to Taylor Hall, too, because he's got, what, two years left on his deal? And, you know, I don't think it's an automatic that he re-ups with the Devils. Sort of like the John Tavares situation with the Islanders, I think the Devils really have to show to Taylor that they are going in the right direction and they can be a playoff contender. I mean, Taylor, six seasons in Edmonton and one in New Jersey has never tasted the playoffs. And uh, that, that's, that's kind of grating on him right now. Andrew, Corey Schneider's been lights out pretty much his entire career. His numbers suffered last year. That might have been a product of the guys in front of him. But what's, is there any concern level there? And, and what was the thought process behind bringing in a new goalie coach? Um. You know, it was it was a real catch twenty two uh, with with Corey last year. He um, he he didn't play well at times, so the defenseman kind of didn't trust him as much. And then Corey wasn't trusting his defenseman, so he was trying to do too much. And as a result, his technique kind of got thrown out of whack. There, there were. There were just far too many goal games when uh, Corey was giving up four and five goals. Um, you know, the, the switch from Chris Terreri to Rolia Melanson as the goalie coach, um, Ray Shiro and, and Corey, you know, both said they don't think it was tied into, you know, the fact that Roley was uh, Corey's goalie coach with the Canucks. But I, I got to think there's there's a little bit of a familiarity factor there, you know. It wasn't a shock whether it was going to be Rolly Melanson or someone else that after the season Corey had last year, the Devils would look to bring in a new voice as as a goalie coach. Um, you know, Corey, 
I, I think Corey, he, he was an all-star two seasons ago. He obviously had a rough season last year. Um, I, I don't think, you know, he's over the hill uh, by any means as a goalie, but I, I really do think for both his, you know, mental, you know, psyche and, and the teams that, that he really needs a good start to this season to, to kind of get back into that groove. Talking New Jersey Devils with Andrew Gross of the Bergen Record. One, one more question for you, Andrew, and, and I have to ask about the blue line. You know, you mentioned how much the Devils have focused on uh, drafting forwards over the last few years. They just signed one of the top college free agents out there in Hobie Baker winner, Will, but- Will Butcher, of Denver. I think you just posted a story on him, actually. Uh, will, <laughs> yeah, but- will he step in right away? What will be his role? And if he has a significant role, what does it say about this unit? Well, it says there's not a lot of depth right now uh, in this unit, there, and there hasn't been, and that was a huge problem last season. They could never, you know, their, their top pair, you know, consisted of Captain Andy Green, um, you know, who's a, a you know, there, there's nothing bad you can say about Andy Green's game. He, he sort of will play in all situations and and do anything that's asked, and he's a very smart player, but, you know, probably on another team with more defense depth rather than being on the top pair, maybe Andy Green is, a, you know, a number three. Um, and, and they never could settle really on a, on a top pair partner with Andy Green, you know, be it, you know, Damon Severson on the right side, even Ben Lovejoy was playing on the right side. And, you know, Ben himself admitted that he is much more effective when he's playing, you know, 20 minutes a game as, as compared to 25, 26 minutes a game. He, you know, he just says that those, 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 that extra time kind of, you know, decreases his productivity out there. So it, the, the Devils really need, uh, they really went into the offseason needing to improve on the back end. Um, they were... They went hard for Kevin Shattenkirk, um, and you know when all was said and done, uh, you know I think the Devils might have been Shattenkirk's second choice, but you know uh, Kevin was just so so set on playing for his hometown team and the Rangers team he grew up for that it was probably a very distant second. Um, but Shattenkirk was exactly what the Devils needed—a guy who could play on the top pair and and quarterback the power play and, and, and was a right-handed shot. Um, Will Butcher, you know, coming in, obviously, you know, defenseman, it's the hardest position to come into the NHL right away and learn. Um, you know, it takes defensemen, obviously, a, a little bit longer to, to, to that learning curve than a forward. Um, Will is 22. Um, he's an offensive-minded defenseman who moves the puck quickly, wants to play an up-tempo game, and that's just music to the ears of uh, Coach John Hines and Ray Shiro. That, that's exactly what they need is a puck mover who can get the puck up to the forwards and really, you know, uh, initiate the rush. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, he's going to be like Mike Nico Hishir. He's going to be given every chance to kind of crack the top six. Um you know, he was, he was, we just had him on a conference call today. He said he thinks his game is NHL ready, but that being said, he knows there, there's stuff to learn. And one of the things he liked about the Devils was he got the sense while he was going to certainly be given a chance to, to make the, the roster initially, 
he wasn't going to be put in positions that were going to be detrimental to his learning curve early on. So, you know, while he might be a top pair candidate eventually, I, I, I don't think he goes into the season, you know, you know, the Devils can't go into the season with Will Butcher as a, as a top pair defenseman. You know, that is a whole, you know, most likely Damon Severson when he resigns and he's still, you know, unsigned as a restricted free agent. They haven't worked that out. Um, you know, he's the most likely candidate to go with Andy Green. And, you know, then you're looking at, you know, uh, they signed Michael Kapla out of college last season. He's going to be given a chance uh they brought a, a Russian over from the uh, KHL, uh, Diblanco, um, who I really liked in summer development camp, who will probably need some time in the AHL, but, you know, could probably help the team out by December or January. But, you know, the, the defense, uh, to make a really long answer longer, uh, you know, the, the blue line core is, is still kind of the weak point here, even with the Will Butcher signing. That's Devils and NHL writer Andrew Gross of the Bergen Record. You can find him on Twitter, at A Gross Record. Andrew, thanks so much for the time. Great insight, and enjoy the upcoming season. Okay, talk to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, okay. Andrew. Thank you. Well, the, the one thing before we wrap up that obviously stands out about New Jersey is Nico Hishier and, and whether or not he's going to step right in and play because leading up to the draft, the thought was really Nolan Patrick's probably the only definitively NHL-ready player but you got to go back a long time to find a number one overall pick that didn't step right in and play. Yeah, and, and with Zajac out four to six months, and you just heard Andrew talking about Adam Henrique possibly moving to the wing, what are their options at center at that point? I mean, you've got, you've got Zaka, you've got Nico Hichet. It, it, it almost feels like he has to step into that role. No pressure. The, yeah, it's, I, I don't know what else they do. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't play significant NHL minutes, but it would be disappointing considering what the Devils have to line up to start the season down the middle if your number one overall pick can't make the roster. Even, even if it's even if we look into it and say that, we can see why. Yeah. That, that's, again, especially coming off of the last two years of number one picks. Sure, but there's two schools of thought there. If, he, if he's genuinely not ready, regardless of their needs, I still think it's the right decision to to let him develop at a lower level away from the pressure, if that's what he needs. That's been my thought all along, but the more I, I look at it, you know, this isn't, this isn't say, Philadelphia getting the number one overall pick, where they already kind of have some centers mm-hmm. and they're in a, a little bit of a better position. New Jersey knew they needed instant center help. So if they didn't think he'd be ready, wouldn't they have just taken Patrick? Do they really think he has that much more upside? I don't know. The more, the more I look at it, and with what you and, and Andrew just pointed out, the fact that they're so depleted at that position, I, I have to think that he's going to have to be terrible almost, to, or just glaringly not ready to play in the NHL yet for him to sit or play in junior this year. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Again, based on based on their need, and if Hen- Henrique is actually moving to the wing, I, I just don't see the other options at this point. you imagine how much better that blue line would be if they had gotten Kevin Shattenkirk? Oh, if they had just gotten any, I mean, anybody? No, uh, yeah. look, Green is, is fine. He's he, He's, Andrew's right. He's, he's not a top-pairing guy. They they don't really have a top-pairing guy. That's that's the truth of it. They don't have a guy who belongs on there. Ben Lovejoy was on that top Good, pair yeah. for a while. And Penguins' that is, eighth defenseman from three years ago was there. That is probably But Andrew even, basically said Andy Green has a nice personality. He didn't say those exact words, but that was that was what he was into. There's nothing he really does wrong. <laughs> right. It's not you, it's me. But even in that scenario, 
Doesn't this just lend credence to the stance that the three of us take? Even knowing how thin they are on defense, they were still willing to trade Adam Larson for Taylor Hall because one player is so much better than the other that you make the trade and try and make of up course. for it later. Yes. Of course, you do that in a heartbeat, even though, yeah, they're they're terrible on the blue line. They might have the worst blue line in the NHL. But they do. You, you don't pass up on the chance to get a talent like Taylor Hall. No. And they, let, let's face it, New Jersey needed to score, too. It's not like they're a great offensive team. They needed that piece, too. They needed a lot. They've gotten considerably better. It may not show up in the standings. Good like, summer. Like he said. I mean, the Metro is, is so tough that they may very well just finish at the bottom of the division again. But if you look at what they've done in just the last 14 months, they've added some some exciting pieces now. Even Marcus Johansson's not mm-hmm. maybe exciting, but he's a good player, and they got him for nothing. Yeah, Taylor you have to Paul, help anything. Nico Heeshear, Will Butcher now. Like, they're adding pieces, mm-hmm. and they're not – they didn't have anything to lose, but they're not losing anything. Jamie and I were laughing, too, at the mention of Taylor Hall because – I did that story last year where I talked to him where he basically, yeah. he's like, yeah, I'm kind of over him now. And then he talked about, you know, I, I could probably still tell you how they've done in their last five games or so, but I'm not as high strong on keeping tabs on them anymore. Yeah. Just like, I love that story, Everything though. he was saying just, just was countering what Stalking he was saying. his ex-team. <laughs> yes, totally stalking him. I'm he not was, on the Oilers' Instagram page or like, anything. He, te- he told me that he was like on a podcast, I think a day earlier, where he's saying, yeah, it would be really hard to see them win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too soon. You need some closure, right, before that happens. Yeah. All right, that's good. Anything else in New Jersey? We're going to wrap this up. Well, I think we talked last week, which which team, it was Jersey and Philly, which team did we feel more confident in being contenders quicker? And I think we all said New Jersey. And they've gotten even a little bit, but a little bit better even since that podcast. I just like the direction they're going. Mm-hmm. I, I've always, I've long said this, just as a fan of, of a team in any sport, you want to know that your team has picked a direction and they're they're committed to it and they're going with it. And you know, look, if that direction is the same as the Philadelphia 76ers where you're just going to be bad for seven years and then start over in eight years, that's idiotic. But if you're rebuilding but you're doing it with a purpose, like I think the Devils are, that's a lot easier for fans to get behind. And here's the reality with the Devils, too. When, when you look at them next year, you, you Zajac's out four to six months. That's really going to hamstring this team's yeah. efforts to end this playoff drought. He's he's is still their number one center. You can argue that he shouldn't be. He'd be in. He'd be a great number two center. But when you look at their cap situation moving forward, they don't have a lot of issues. They're they're at the bottom of the league in spending right now. They need a defenseman desperately. I haven't looked at the free agent class, but they, they have to address that. If they can go out and get that piece, you know, get the piece that got away this summer in Kevin Shattenkirk, you really have to like what this team can do moving forward. And again, they're not in a bad cap situation, so they have flexibility to add maybe even another piece if they need it. It's too bad there are no NHL teams with a glut of defensemen that are looking to trade because <laughs> otherwise the, one could make a Why match. hasn't that happened yet? It, it makes almost too much sense so it won't happen. I mean, both we got gambling centers in both cities, Atlantic yeah. City, Vegas. I mean, there should be some tie there. I'm trying to see which, uh, which defensemen are UFAs for next year. So do you want us to kill time while you do that? No, no, I've already found it. Okay. You don't have to kill time with me on the podcast. Wait, wait. Uh, that's, all we, that's exclusively what we yeah. do. <laughs> My job. My Feel free, Craig, to drink your coffee right into the microphone. It's <laughs> the clearest thing you've said. Uh, Mike Green, Toby Enstrom, Jack Johnson, Alexi Emelin, Zdeno Chara. This is all unrestricted free agents next summer at defense. Basically, there's never any good no, unrestricted no, defensemen. Defensemen don't make it that far, yeah. Calvin DeHaan. But again, like Jamie said, you're probably you're not getting a top pairing guy, but talk to Vegas. Yeah. But they who, need who to is move now. somebody? Yeah, I mean, who is getting a top pairing defenseman in a trade anymore? What gets drafted by Vegas stays in Vegas. Apparently, um, that's well. That's Washington did last year at the trade deadline. Oh yeah, 
Okay. But didn't work out so well. Didn't really. Yeah. No. All right. What's the Capitals? Also, yeah, I'm not. Oh, Kim Shocker can go to the Rangers or the Devils. He can go to the playoff team that plays in Manhattan or the non playoff team that plays in Newark. Can't we, believe he made the decision we, he made. We should point out He's that still Jamie's still going to live in Manhattan. Area. It's not really hard to get to Newark. Well, I, can, I can tell you all the he, he, he didn't want to be that close to the wound care. tell you all the services care. available. He didn't want to get that to the wound <laughs> care center. Aren't there only back roads in Newark? Or I don't know. I've never been there, so I should leave the bashing. All the, all the highways are under construction perpetually, so it's oh. it's always a good idea to take the back And depending roads. on where you are in Jersey, the bridges might be closed. Mm-hmm. All right. You guys have both been there. I haven't, so I'll just let you guys rip the area for no particular reason. Uh, who do we have on next week? Do we know yet? Who we're talking about? We've now done eighteen of these teams, so we're only we've only got thirteen left. Yeah, we're we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. The only confirmed guest I have next week, I can tell you, we're going to talk with FanRag's own Sean Shapiro about the Dallas Stars. Oh, that's an exciting team. Do we know which team we're not going to have a guest on yet, or are we going to unveil that next week? We're going to unveil that next week. All right. It depends on the other guests that we get. Oh, everything's everything's just pieces in a puzzle. I like to keep them in suspense. Okay, good. <laughs> and a cliffhanger. Apparently. All right. Tune in next week to see the exciting conclusion. It's not the conclusion unless we're doing 13 teams. For Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.